I'm Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. And you are in the Transporter Room Rugby Week Edition. Woo! Yeah, celebrating the gentleman's game played by hooligans. And it's not just gentlemen who are playing. That's the whole point. Trans women are women. Trans women rugby players are women rugby players. And this whole week at Outsports, we're dedicated to the cause of trans equality and inclusion. Yes, and part of that is, as you pro- as we've been covering on Outsports the last few weeks, uh, World Rugby made some recommendations. And, among those rec- and a lot of those recommendations are based on a lot of hearsay, saying things such as, oh, there's a 20 to 30% risk that of injury if a transgender female player tackles a cisgender female player. Now, now I don't, these people must come from the, the minority report school of science because they're basing these things based on thing based on nothing that has to do with the pitch, but things that they believe could happen. I mean, well, anything could happen, but there's no data on what has actually happened. And, that's the biggest problem with the world rugby recommendations. And that's why you have a petition that's been going around the world. And a lot of people have been signing it. And a lot of figures in rugby have been signing it now. And a lot of clubs have gotten on board to say, no, um, world rugby, you really need to rethink this. And you really need, need to rethink the people that you have working on this with you. And I think the main reason that they've taken this stance is even though they had transgender people like a trans man rugby player, Verity Smith, testifying, they didn't hear from one single trans woman rugby player. And we want to also extend our thanks to all the allies who did join in and are proposing this from officials to rugby leagues to clubs. This is a worldwide effort. And in that vein, we're going to set coordinates for San Francisco, California, and beam up Grace McKenzie. Welcome to the Transporter Room, Grace. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Right out of the gate, you're right out of the gate from your position, working with your rugby club out in the Bay Area where you handle, if I have this right, you're the person that, you're the person that goes out and gets players for your team. Is that right? I am, yeah. I'm one of the two uh, rookie and recruitment coordinators for my club, and I was doing that for the entirety of the season until COVID unfortunately shut down our our playing time. But uh, yeah, my job was to grow the game and make sure our team was thriving and we had new rookies hitting the pitch every week. What do you do when you're not playing rugby? uh, When I'm not playing rugby, I work in tech. So I'm an operations manager, operations lead for, for tech companies actually looking for a job right now with everything going on. And otherwise, I like riding my motorcycle, like going to the beach, you know, like fighting for social justice, all that good stuff. How has how has the coronavirus crisis affected things with the with the team and with the club? Yeah, so it's been quite unfortunate. Um, obviously, our playing season got cut short. We were having a really phenomenal season. We had 20 brand new rookies, and we were doing quite well. We had been winning some games unexpectedly, which was awesome. Um, we we're in sort of a rebuilding phase at the club. And one of the sadder parts is this was our final season in our clubhouse here in San Francisco on Treasure Island because some luxury real estate developers were unfortunately encroaching upon our space and our clubhouse is being demolished. So we were going to get to play out the season in the clubhouse finally, um, but that's not going to happen. And, you know, we've moved out of the, the clubhouse now and they're going to be tearing it down by the end of the summer. So a little bit of a disappointing end to an era for us. 
you expect that 2021 is going to be any better? Um, it's so hard to, to tell at this point. Um, I would be shocked if we were back in full swing with rugby, just being such an up-close-and-personal sport. I mean, USA Rugby has laid out some steps and guidelines for getting back into play, but unless caseloads get under control and, you know, California is still in basically full lockdown, I can't really see us hitting the pitch um, next year unless things change dramatically. Now, one thing, this, you've you had a definite hand in this world rugby petition. You're one of the people that helped start it. What got you going and what is the, what was the fulcrum for you to, for you to get a group of people together in the Bay area and said, we can't take this lying down. Let's do something. And what led you to this? Yeah. So I, I first heard like rumors about what world rugby was doing earlier this year when they announced that they were having a transgender working group meet to talk about inclusion and it struck me as odd considering they had just adopted a new policy at world rugby's level in 2019 so the fact that they were revisiting this so soon you know threw up some red flags for me so it's kind of keeping tabs on it and things were silent for a number of months and then out of nowhere late july the guardian leaked that you know world rugby was proposing a full-out ban on trans women and for me it kind of felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath my feet um, you know, the threat of losing access to this wonderful community that I've been a part of for the last couple of years uh, just really took me by surprise and, and motivated me to figure out what we could do to stop this. So me and a couple other community rugby players from the West Coast, we got together, put our heads together and thought, you know, how do we how do we raise awareness about this, both here in the U.S. and around the world? And we started with a petition and that snowballed into a lot of different actions that are taking place, not just here in the U.S., but in Canada and New Zealand, of people kind of raising their voices and saying that um, we oppose this ban and we want to include trans women in the game. Have you personally experienced any um, trans misogyny, any kind of uh, oppression? Has anyone ever given you a hard time about your identity? Um, like in, just in general, I would say, you know, you face uh, microaggressions kind of on a daily basis, even in a place as accepting in San Francisco. I've been fortunate enough to avoid like blatant outright discrimination and harassment and transphobia uh, in my daily life, but in the rugby community, never. Um, I've never experienced that with my team or in the league that I play in. I think the most uh, mistreatment I've felt as a part of the rugby community has been from backlash against our petition from some groups of turfs in the UK. But beyond that, I've always felt welcome in this space. That's the amazing thing about rugby, because I think every sport has a little bit of, um, I don't know, just that kind of rough talk that people sometimes do. But in sports uh, that are absent the toxic masculinity, <laughs> there seems to be um, real acceptance. And I think that uh, even today um, in, in baseball, there, there's an evolution. It's happening. People are starting to understand there's not what, just one way to identify. What's been your experience in sports other than rugby? Um, so frankly, like pre-transition, I was a huge team sports person. I grew up playing every sport under the sun. You know, soccer was my main one. I was a basketball player in the winter back home in Canada. But I played ice hockey. I played baseball. I tried half a season of tackle football, like American style. Um, but when I transitioned, I really thought team sports were over for me. I, I kind of bought into the 
the unfortunate rhetoric around trans women and trans people not having a place in sport. And rugby found me. I didn't go looking for this sport. I got recruited to this team at a queer tech conference here in San Francisco and kind of fell into it and just fell in love with the sport. So for me, it was a really nice surprise to get to continue to be involved in a community like this after transition when I thought that it was just not a reality for me moving forward. In a sense, how did sport play into your transition? How, I mean, how did you work it as you were going? How did you work sport into it as you were going through your transition? Um, so I would say as I was going through my transition, rugby really gave me a foundational base in terms of a supportive community. Um, being able to be included in a team environment or a group environment where I was recognized as the gender that I identify as and given the same opportunities to be a part of a team and contribute to something like that with other women and, and folks who I shared the pitch with, it did wonders for my confidence. And I mean that literally, like I went from early days of my transition, having tons of anxiety about little things like going to the grocery store or riding the subway, always living in fear that I'd get clocked or somebody would treat me poorly. And then when I was accepted into this group of, you know, queer women and folks in my rugby team, my confidence just skyrocketed and I really solidified a sense of, of personal identity and strength. So it's done wonders for me in terms of building my confidence and making me into the person I am today. Well, tell me about the first time you hit the pitch with this team. What was it like? What did it feel like? And did you ever think at some point, what am I doing out here? Um, I definitely thought, what was I doing out here? Considering the fact that rugby is, it's a, it's a complicated game to an outsider. I had never touched a rugby ball before. And I remember in the first game, I got put in the wing, which most new players do, and kind of told just to, to follow the instructions of my fellow teammates, you know, go for a tackle if I see a tackle, grab the ball if I see the ball. But I spent most of the game just running around with my head chopped off. Um, I got really lucky in my first game, and I caught an errant bounce um, off a kick that allowed me to score a try. Total fluke, definitely um, was not planned or anything like that. But uh, yeah, just the energy and the intensity of the game really hooked me in those early days. And um, yeah, I'm still learning the game to, to this day. I still don't know all the rules. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of you're rules. Fast. <laughs> yeah, there, there are videos, rules. you're pretty and fast. They're always changing too. <laughs> yeah, I've I've always been a speedier person um, in terms of sport. Like I played striker and soccer, and that was kind of my my specialty is being able to run quickly. So that translated well into rugby. Um, I don't do as well when it comes to like big physical contact pieces and, and scrums and things like that. Although I have been moved into the the position of flanker recently, and that's been a, a really fun learning experience. Do you think there's any truth to the fact that? as you used to identify as male and your when your your body went through a male puberty that you pose an unfair advantage or un or un uh, safe risk to the women you're competing with how do you answer those questions yeah i i honestly think it's it's um a completely overblown idea that comes from a place of fear mongering and misunderstanding in terms of where I stack up on my rugby team I'm five foot seven inches tall I'm about 140 pounds I'm definitely one of the fastest people on the team but not the fastest overall um, in terms of contact if me and the scrum half go into contact I'm probably going to win that battle every single time but there are props on my team who can throw me around like a rag doll and do that constantly in 
practice. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about rugby is like nobody is going to be able to dominate in every element of the game. That's why it's such a, an amazing team sport. It's set up for all bodies, all shapes and sizes. Everybody can have a role and succeed in different areas of the game. So for me, I have my place and I, I do very well in it. But if I was to move to a different position, I wouldn't be suited for that role based on my body type, size and skill set. So um, I don't think I have an unfair advantage compared to my teammates or compared to my opponents. And that's been clear, especially when we've gone up against some of the higher ranked teams in the West Coast. We just get absolutely thrashed, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely not advantageously set up against players like that. Can you tell us a little bit about how your transition happened? When did you first come to the realization, I'm trans? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have had feelings of gender incongruence since some of my earliest memories, like three and four years old. I was raised in a place that um, didn't offer a lot of role models or uh, you know, opportunities for understanding those sorts of feelings in myself. So most of my life, I repressed those feelings as, as something negative or you know, uh, something that was like wrong with me. And it wasn't until I got to college and started being exposed to more queer folks and, and ideologies that I understood there were people who have these feelings like myself and there's language to describe it. Uh, but it took coming down to San Francisco, you know, being fortunate enough to get to, to speak with a therapist who specialized in gender issues and, and you know, sexual and gender minorities, that I finally came to terms with the fact that I was trans. And this was a little over three years ago. Um, and from that point forward, that's when I realized, you know, this is something I need to do. I need to transition and live an authentic life. But it took me, you know, a quarter of a century to get here. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful that I've, I've been able to come out and, and live as my authentic self now. So you're in your 20s then? I'm doing a little math in my head. I am. I'm, yeah, I'm 26. <laughs> see, I'm, I was yeah, told there'd be no math. I was told there'd be no math. Um, and when you see coming down to San Francisco, that's something only a Canadian would say. <laughs> a Canadian or, you know, somebody from Seattle or something. But yeah, I, uh, I went to school in Vancouver, British Columbia, at the University of British Columbia. And I grew up in Canada, in Niagara Falls, Ontario, so on the East Coast. So I've kind of made my way to the West Coast and, and down here. Um, further south, but uh, I love it down here in San Francisco. It's oh. one of the, the great cities of the world, in my opinion. And Oh, I um, don't disagree. Yeah. Best coast, West Coast is the best coast, and San Francisco is my favorite city. I'm jealous. Since coming to San Francisco, what was it like for you, now you found yourself and you found this sport, how has all that helped you kind of, kind of blend your way into the community? I know one thing you're definitely in the start in the you're definitely a San Francisco person now because you're doing because when I remember talking to you, you said you're in you're a part of a startup right now. And that's the home of the startup, San Francisco. How how is all the things that you've gone through that have gotten you to this point kind of melded you into the community where you are now? Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm in between startup jobs, but that's kind of where I work and, and what brought me to the Bay in the first place, this like really fast paced technological innovation space. And, you know, that's that's my day job. But I think um, what has really been the, the most positive aspect of living in San Francisco in the Bay Area is how rich and vibrant the queer community is down here, how accepting, how open it is. Like people just do their own thing in California and in San Francisco in particular, and people don't bat their eyelashes at it. You know, it's just um, you have this freedom to really express yourself and be who you are. And through rugby, you know, rugby being such a queer sport on the women's side, at least, you know, being able to fall into a group of, of queer women, queer folks, 
you know, who became that like bedrock community for me, not just on the field and, and when we're playing, but, you know, we go out to, to the lesbian bars in the city and we go out to pride together. And, you know, there's this whole communal element to it. Like feeling that, feeling a part of something larger than yourself in that way is, is so meaningful. And I think that's why San Francisco is such a safe haven for queer folks. It's just, um, yeah, it's like nothing else I've ever experienced. I'd like to also know, because San Francisco is that kind of city where everybody seems to have a stake in LGBT rights, even the people who are cis and straight. Um, what is activism like for you? Is activism part of your life or is it something that conflicts with your um, identity? Yeah, no, I think um, activism is part of my life. And I've, I've always sort of had a moral compass that points towards justice. And, you know, I'm not afraid to speak up and raise my voice on issues. Um, you know, San Francisco and the Bay Area has been a really uh, central place for protests, especially around racial injustice and things like that recently. But, you know, Pride Festival, you have the the big day on Saturday where everybody's kind of just in the park and drinking and having a good time. But Friday night is Trans March and Trans March is still a protest for all intents and purposes. We really march and, you know, we, we demand um, you know, equality and better opportunities for ourselves. So I think this piece around sports is just one part of the larger conversation of trans inclusion and trans rights. And it's a place where I'm, I'm heavily involved right now. But I think the spirit of activism and the spirit of queer liberation runs through San Francisco. It's very hard to not be a part of that as a queer person who lives here. We're hearing that sound. That means we've got to go to break, pay a couple bills. But when we come back, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this and look at the attacks on trans athletes. It's not just in rugby, it seems to be everywhere. This is the Transporter Room, we'll be back. And you're back in the Transporter Room with Carly Chardonnay-Webb and me, Dawn Ennis. Our guest, Grace McKenzie, calling in from San Francisco. She's beamed up to talk to us about the rugby petition during Outsports Rugby Week. Grace, I don't understand one thing. Why do you think that people treat trans people differently? What do you think it is about? What is it about us? Because all three of us are trans women. What do you think makes people think, well, they don't deserve what I have? Um, I think there's a few a few pieces here that contribute to that. First and foremost, I think it's unfamiliarity and people's just uh, general fear of things that they don't understand. It, you know, less than one in four Americans know a trans person um, in this country. And I think if you don't know somebody or you haven't experienced um, you know, a relationship with a trans person or, or that understanding, it's very easy to other them or to have misunderstandings about our lived experience. So more, you know, exposure and having us more integrated into life and, and connecting with more folks is important. But I think that's also coupled with a long history of misrepresentation in the media where trans people are portrayed as villains or monstrosities or, you know, things that are repulsive or, or undesirable. And I think that contributes to a really unfortunate caricature of what what trans people and trans women in particular are in a lot of folks' minds. So, you know, being able to break that down and, and show that we are just human beings who want to live our lives in a way that's the most authentic possible for ourselves um, is really important to changing that narrative and, and helping, you know, the cis-hetero majority understand who we are and that we're not any different than they are. Now, 
it seems that one of those villains that's come out of the woodwork is the trans woman who plays sports. There have been, let me see, all this legislation that's been put out there, all these talks of bans across the country. There have been lawsuits. I mean, it. I mean, it's gotten it's de- it's hard out here as both of us being trans women who play sports and love to play. And what's your thought on all these attacks? Um, I think it's, it's super politically motivated and politically driven. I think there are folks who oppose LGBTQ equality across the board and progressively they've been fighting for our inclusion and our equal rights in society. It was first marriage equality, and then they lost the battle there, and then they moved on to trans people in general, and they were focused on trans bathroom inclusion and you know equality in schools and things like that, and, and that was a losing battle, and now they've turned their attention to sports. And I really don't believe this is motivated by a true concern for women's sports and you know protecting women's sports. I think if you really wanted to protect women's sports, you'd look at things like high rates of sexual harassment in women's sports, a lack of funding, a lack of proper training and support, you know, those real barriers to growing women's sports. Instead, you know, these groups use trans people as this red herring to like scare folks and and sort of attack us. And it's more of just an attack on LGBTQ inclusion in general from an ideological standpoint. It really sucks to be in the crosshairs here, but I think it's just a wedge issue that folks who oppose our rights in general are trying to use to convince public perception that that we shouldn't be equal in some way. So I don't think it's about sports whatsoever. It's just unfortunate that it's having that effect on on people like ourselves who get such benefits from being involved in sports. Now, on the plus side, though, this petition has gone global. Clubs in the Bay Area have jumped on board. Clubs across the United States have jumped on board. Clubs in Canada have jumped on board. Clubs in the UK have jumped on board. Even even as far away as the rugby hotbeds of Oceania have gotten on board. What has this meant for, for you in this petition to see it take such a worldwide sweep? Uh, it's really heartwarming for me just to see that the rugby community out there embraces trans women and trans inclusion in this sport. And it reaffirms the fact that, you know, this is a politically motivated um action that's happening at the highest levels of the game and don't actually reflect the makeup and the the sort of politics of the grassroots community in rugby. I think having a global voice in this is so important because rugby is a global sport. You know, if we were to get the U.S. to come out in strong opposition to this ban, but every other nation in the world was silent, I don't think it would have the intended effect we need it to. And having people in Canada, having people in New Zealand, having people in England, you know, having people in Spain, there's a petition going around in Spain that has 20,000 signatures right now. You know, having folks all raise their voices in unison, I think, makes it clear that World Rugby is trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. And it's just made me feel feel really welcome and reaffirm the fact that I do have a place in the rugby community. If you could get Emma Hilton one-to-one in a room, what would you tell her? Um, I don't know if I'd tell her anything. I'd ask her a lot of questions, and I'd ask uh, questions that would hopefully help me understand why she feels this animosity towards trans people and where that really comes from. You know, I'm somebody who believes in building bridges, and for me, you know, a lot of the decisions I make are based in empathy and trying to put myself in the shoes of other people, and I just want to know where the hate and the vitriol comes from. I think if... um, 
folks who, who feel these ways about trans people are able to just have a conversation and like level with us on a one-to-one -one basis, they'd understand that we're not so different from each other and we're just looking to have the same opportunities that everybody wants in life. You know, the opportunities to practice healthy living and be a part of community and, and have fun and, and be supported in that way. So I would just want to understand why. Why do they take this stance? Why do they feel that they need to kind of keep us down to, to raise themselves up? Well, there's two things I want to follow up with on that. First of all, I want to ask you about the support you found, because support is really important. Having friends, having a, a family of choice, um, having people in your own background who saw you from before, who know you now, and those people who only know you as you are, as Grace. But back to the thing that you were just saying, the argument goes that you are not a woman. You're a biological male, that Carly is a biological male, that I'm a biological male, that we are invading women's sports. We're, we're trying to take over women's sports. We're trying to destroy women's sports. And my question to that is, who on earth would go through all the trouble we go through to be ourselves just to win a friggin' trophy? Nobody. That's the answer to that question. And if anybody actually understands what the trans experience looks like, and for folks who choose to medically transition in particular, what that journey is like and the hardships that you face across the board, it becomes evidently clear that nobody would do this for the sake of, of a medal or getting on the podium. Um, I think, uh, again, when it comes to trans people invading and destroying women's sports as we know it, you know, if that was the case, we would have seen trans women and trans people dominating at the highest levels of sports over the course of the last two decades since we've been allowed to compete at the highest levels in the Olympics. And we haven't had a single trans woman Olympian that we know of, an out trans woman, who has competed and definitely nobody who's placed at the highest levels. It comes from a place of fear. It comes from a place of misunderstanding. Uh, it just really isn't based in reality. And I think that's all there is to it. We haven't had a single transgender person, period. Make an, make an Olympic team anywhere. And last I heard, there are 206 of those. Yeah, so they haven't like the opportunities. Not once there. qualified ever. I mean, even, even yeah. coming close, but not qualified. It's really, again, it's a problem that doesn't exist. And um, it, it just speaks to the fact that, that the rules that are in place, I think, are, are fair. I think, um, you know, they're, they're based on the most up-to-date and accurate research and science that we have. I think people... Um, fail to recognize the radical changes that you know, hormone replacement therapy has on the human body and athletic performance in general. And I think it's such an essentialist argument that really simplifies things to just say biological male, biological female, there is no in-between. We know, as I'm a biologist, I studied biology you know, in school, we know that biology isn't that simple. It's not a binary division of the sexes. There's so many different factors that go into determining sex and gender. Um, and we have so much to learn and continue to study here. Uh, it just really is a simplification and I think an insult to the science to boil it down to just that. How much are you itching to get back on that pitch? Because even with all these issues, there's one big issue that we're all thinking about, and that's the coronavirus crisis. And mm -hmm. do you just want to say coronavirus, go hurry up, go away? How, how bad are you jonesing to get back out there? 
I can't even describe it so much. So I am, I am somebody who like really needs that competitive element to my exercise, whether it's, you know, rock climbing and competing against myself or whether it's playing rugby. It's been so hard for me to stay active in this weird new reality we're in without rugby. And I just want my community back. I just want that feeling of, you know, going out there for 80 minutes and running your heart out, win or lose. Um, yeah, I, I would I would give anything for that right now. Same. <laughs> I think we all want to go back to normal life. But I, I want to skip back just a second. You're the second biologist who's a trans woman we've had on the transporter room. And I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked her. As a biologist, is the term biological male even accurate? No, I think it's a, an, an extreme oversimplification of what biology actually represents and how sex is determined and indicated in the human body. You know, there are so many different components to what makes up somebody's sex and gender. And we know from the existence of, you know, intersex people, for example, that sex is not necessarily a binary male and female, one or the other sort of categorization. And by, you know, minimalizing the sort of biology down to that, it erases people's lived experience and it erases folks who, who do have biology that is different from that. You know, we see folks in sports like Castro Semenaya, who, you know, has um, different performance characteristics based on certain parts of her biology. You know, I would argue that she is just as much a woman as myself or any cisgender woman, but being able to like nitpick somebody's um, chromosomes or their biology or their anatomy to put them in boxes, I think harms everybody and opens up the door to some really discriminatory things in women's sports. So I think um, biological essentialism is just an outdated theory and something we've moved past uh, that some folks who are opposed to trans inclusion are trying to drag us back into right now. Grace, I'm a 49-year-old football slash track and field refugee. Is there room for me in rugby? There's room for everybody in rugby. No matter what sport you come from, even if you've never played sports or touched a ball or, or hit the field in your life, you know, rugby is a game that's for, for all bodies, all shapes, all sizes, all skill sets. So, you know, we welcome you out on the pitch if, if you're willing to come out here and work hard. No, I'm, I'm going to sit on the couch. No, not me. I'm willing to work. But <laughs> I'm, I'm sure not, you are. I already told you. Not getting in that scrum. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither is Grace. That's okay. Grace opts not to. That's, that's, a, that's an option, right, Grace? Yeah, I just I hold on to the outside of the scrum. I'm a, I'm a Lucy. I'm a flanker. I, I don't pack down like... You know, those those people are really intense. I, I really respect them a lot, but that's not my my position on the field. I've got my place and it works well. And I'm sure we could find a place that, that fits with what you want to do and your skill set out here in the in the game of rugby. Sit in the stands. That's where my place is to cheer you on. That to, works as well. To shout Where's to the... shout. <laughs> no, we're gonna get you we're gonna get her couch to five K, Grace. Yeah, I don't know. Yes, you are. We're, we're gonna stop know. being lazy, Don Ennis. I'm not lazy. I I lift. I lift the. I lift a pint every once in a while. I um. I cooked yeah. the hamburger today. No, listen. Let's. let's oh, you fit right in. I definitely fit right, fit in, right, right in. Right definitely, in. Yeah. definitely. I am uh, reminding you that this is the trans sporter room where we talk about not just sports, not just trans issues, but science fiction and fantasy too. So let's go into your little place in your mind. What is the fantasy fan favorite of Grace McKenzie? 
Oh my goodness. In terms of my fantasy favorites, I think one of my favorite pieces of fantasy literature is the Silmarillion by, um, you know, uh, Tolkien, his sort of like universe building that predated the Lord of the Rings and the sort of like biblical grandiosity of, of that story has is, is always spoken to me in a really big way. And, you know, I, I used to say Harry Potter was a, a big part of my life as well. And you know, uh, you know, uh, but that's unfortunate <laughs> with, with the, the woman behind those books and, and her unfortunate rhetoric. But, you know, the, those sort of escapes, I think for me as a, a young person, the ability to like dive into a universe different from my own, where there were so many infinite possibilities and the ability to be whoever you wanted. I think it gave me a lot of refuge as a trans person who didn't know how to explain those feelings that I was feeling internally. So fantasy will always have a really um, special place in my heart. Now, I'll tell you, Cimmerillion is a good pick, number one. The Sim Simmerillion is a good is an is an awesome pick, and I know we're we're no kind of canceling Harry. Is there anything you're grooving to currently? I mean, what what's what's your current vibe right now? What what's something that like for example, give us a pick, give us a Grace McKenzie pick hit. What should we be reading right now? Oh my gosh, I wish I could tell you that I was reading right now. I am struggling so much concentrating on books at the present moment. What I have been doing is watching a lot of television and me and my partner just went back and watched the entirety of Breaking Bad again. Uh, and that is an absolute masterpiece. Talk about character development. It is It's wackadoodle, isn't it? So isn't it just amazing, that it, show? <laughs> It's like I never expected. Right. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, and so. I just every episode it was like they did what? 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 Yeah. <laughs> oh, now, wait a minute. You after just, cliffhanger after cliffhanger. You just dropped a little hint there. Tell us about your partner. Both of us are single, so we're just fantasizing through you. We're living vicariously through you. How did you meet? Oh, hey, I'm working on it. Wonderful. Yeah, we uh, we met actually on Tinder, so we're on the dating apps, and we went out on a date to a concert three days before shelter in place happened in San Francisco. And, you know, we became quarantine bays. So, you know, we've spent so much time together over the last five, six months, we've been considering moving in together this fall. So um, yeah, that was a really fortunate thing that happened. She's really um, done a lot to make my quarantine bearable. And I, I'm so thankful for our relationship. Quarantine Bay. Mm -hmm. I learn learn some learn some terminology right now. <laughs> thing, it's a thing, Carly. Oh, Grace McKenzie, thank you for beaming up to the transporter room. We have to have you back, especially when rugby drops this foolish proposal. I would yeah, love that. Big, thank you both so much for having me and for covering this. It's really important and it means a lot to me. No, well, hey, thanks for thanks for being out there and putting this petition together. And I'm going to say it right now. We're going to meet on a rugby pitch. I you got me that. fired up. I'm getting out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find a team. And we're going to meet. At some point, we're going to meet on a rugby pitch. For your sake, Carly, I Let's hope you're on the same team as Grace. <laughs> 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 All right. Setting coordinates for San Francisco. Thank you. Beaming Grace down. Thanks, Grace. Thanks so much. All right, take care, everybody, and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Transporter Room. Take care, Carly. Take care, Don. Live long and prosper.